This is my This is my comeback story. This is Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to The Comeback. Hey guys, excited about this week. I want to talk about recovery. There are many different ways to approach recovery. A little bit of history on me whenever I got introduced to to recovery, and this is this, uh, you know, coming out of active addiction and 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 then embracing an abstinent based sober lifestyle. You know, meaning that you have left the old life behind, and now you're going to live life free of drugs and alcohol. There's there's many different approaches to it. You know, one of the most commonly known are the twelve steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, and now there's hundreds of different 12-step support groups, and that that is the most common way. You know, there are others that just get it through a relationship with God. You oftentimes hear people in the church talking about, I don't need the 12 steps, I just need one step. I gave my life to Jesus, and, you know, and I love that, and I love what, what they're talking about, but I really do believe that the 12 steps are the best systematic approach to recovery. And what you're going to find out is that this, the steps and in, in the way that it's broken down, really until you get into things like God as you understand him, aren't in conflict with the scripture. The 12 steps actually come from the Oxford group, which was a Christian organization, which had six steps. And then Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob developed them and turned them into the 12 steps. What I'm going to do today is I want to go through the first three steps from a Christian perspective. Now that we're on the Charisma Magazine podcast, and I know that that probably a lot of people are going to be looking to us as a source of of healing and where they can find direction in the area of of addiction, especially from a biblical perspective or a Christian perspective, that they're looking for answers. And there's so many different opinions out there. You know, you're going to find people that would that would differ from me. And 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 I'm not saying that you know necessarily that 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 this thing is you know is is right or wrong. But in my experience, as a believer. And that 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 my faith guides my life. That I find no conflict in the twelve steps. Now I do think that I, I don't. I wouldn't introduce myself as an addict any longer. I wouldn't say, "Hey, I'm Trey. I'm an addict." I would say, "Hey, I'm Trey. I love Jesus, and I used to struggle with addiction, and I want to make darn sure that I never go back to that lifestyle." Again, but I'm going to identify now more with my future than I would with my past. But it's really not a hill that I would die on. As many people that I know that love Jesus that introduce themselves as addicts, and and the deal is, is that that they want that to serve as a constant, you know, reminder that they have this condition, this medical condition that if they go drink or put a mood-altering substance in their body, then it's going to kill them. It's going to cause great, great consequences. And I appreciate that. But at the end of the day, I don't want to be labeling myself as an addict. And and understand me here, because I know that there's somebody right now, you know, that is a a you know, twelve-step AA Nazi, you know, that feels like that I've just, you know, committed the unpardonable sin. I want you to understand, my friend, that I am not confused on what is going to happen if I put alcohol or methamphetamines, which was my drug of choice in this body. I know immediately it is not going to end well for me 
but I don't spend my, my time. I identify now and attach more to my future and what God has for me in my future. And that's what I want to identif- identify with than to attach it to, to my past or some kind of condition that I have. Okay? So one thing that you have to understand is that whenever you're going to do, you know, and, and, and again, people are saying, well, you know, th- this is my approach. I like mindfulness or I like, you know, just, you know, just just the church or, you know, whatever it might be that there it's, it's really a lot like the gym. And it doesn't matter whether or not you're into powerlifting, you're into CrossFit, you're into ultra running, you're into whatever, playing sports. I mean, it just whatever. Like the deal is, if you're trying to get fit then there are going to be some elements that are non-negotiables no matter what you're doing. You know, for example, you know, it doesn't matter whether or not you like CrossFit or you just like doing two muscle groups, you know, old school weightlifting whenever you go in there. If you're eating uh, cream pies at midnight, then you know, it, it's going to offset the process. It, it's going to mess up the entire thing. So the same thing with, with recovery is that you've got to come in, that you've got to be open-minded and that you've got to be willing and you've got to be honest. It doesn't matter what form of recovery where you are seeking to get free from drugs and alcohol, those elements have to be in play. So let's just go through the first three, first three steps. We admitted that we were powerless over our addiction or alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. Now, notice I said addiction and alcohol. There's a lot of alcoholics that, you know, want to uh, make the difference there. You know, if it feels like if an alcoholic goes to Narcotics Anonymous, you know, that somehow, you know, it it doesn't make any sense anymore. I, I find that hard to believe. I loved alcohol. I also loved illicit drugs. And and the deal is it's it's like, you know, you'll you'll see the alcoholic that'll come into treatment and, you know, maybe they were a white collar, uh, you know, they had a white collar job and and they come in and they're saying, Well, I just I'm not like that eighteen year old heroin addict over there. Yet yes you are. <laughs> Okay, and the deal is, is is that you know when you're going in to you know to get treatment for cancer, whether or not that you have stomach cancer or you have brain cancer, you know you're not walking on all prideful as if you've got some you know some higher or more sophisticated you know form of of cancer, and you're saying you know really get me away from the guy that's got brain cancer because I can't relate. It's just absurd. It's just absolutely absurd. And so what we should do is whenever we come in is realize, man, we are all in this thing together. And I need you, you know, I, I need the 18 year old heroin addict that his that is trying to get clean to be able to speak into my life. And I need to be able to encourage him and I need, need to hear what he has to say. And I'm not going to be running around looking at all of the differences. OK, so so what does it mean to be powerless and what does it mean to become unmanageable? What, what, what that means is, is, is that there are many people that. That, that come in and they're thinking, you know, again, they're getting into this comparison trap and they're saying, okay, well, you know, I still have my job and I've never had a DUI, so therefore I don't have a problem. I'm not like the guy that's been to five penitentiaries. I'm not the guy that's done 15 years in prison. He's lost $3 million in assets and he's been divorced three times. You know, the deal is unmanageability is unmanageability. Now, whether that is, you know, you're just a drunk that comes home at six o'clock every night and embarrasses yourself in front of the kids, you know, and your wife is fed up with it, but somehow you've never had a DUI. You've never heard the sound 
of, of, of jail doors closing behind you. The deal is, is unmanageability is unmanageability if it's caused some type of emotional issue or it's caused some type of mental health issue or it's caused stress in your relationships that you can say, you know what? Yeah, maybe I've never been homeless. I've never, you know, lived out of a dumpster. But the deal is, is I know that my life has become unmanageable and that alcohol has taken this much and no, no more. That is where somebody has to land to say, I know that if I continue to live my life drinking and doing drugs, that it is not going to end up well for me. Step two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Okay, if it can restore us to sanity, then it is assuming that we were previously insane. So the definition of insanity in the rooms of 12-step programs is, is repeating the same mistake, expecting or repeating the same actions, expecting different results. You know, it's the person that comes in that says, okay, I was drinking 80-proof vodka, and that's what was causing the problem. Now, if I switch to Bud Light, it's going to be different. I can beat it if I go to Bud Light because it's not as potent as the 80-proof vodka, and that's it. Or I need to go drink the fruity little wine coolers, and I'm going to be able to overcome my alcoholism like that. Guess what? The fruity little wine coolers will put you in a premature grave just like the 80-proof vodka will. So restoring us to sanity. Now, this is this transition step. And I really, I like this, this step because what it does, it leaves somebody room to be able to come to believe. You know, I think about whenever somebody's teaching a baseball swing. You know, if you've never played baseball before, you're just saying, hey, grab the stick and hit the ball. But if you really get into the mechanics of the swing, I mean, somebody might be able to break that down into five steps or seven steps. You know, and they get into this, this, this weight transfer, you know, how you turn your hips. I mean, it just really gets into the mechanics of, of how a baseball swing is sp- supposed to be done properly. And I think here, you know, somebody's coming out of active addiction and you know that God is the secret weapon to this thing. But the reality is, is you don't know God. And you're on this journey. And there's going to be some searching like, yeah, preacher, I appreciate what you're saying up there. But I really need to look at this stuff for myself. Because before I make a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God, I just want to make sure that it's not a premature confession. I want to count the cost, right? And so that's what step two is. Now, what I would say to somebody that's in step two, that if you, you really don't want the implications of there being a God and some type of moral standard, and, and, and so therefore you're saying, I'm just going to always be searching, and you're going to call yourself Mr. Spiritual, and you're going to be involved in all these different religions in your pursuit of truth, what I would say is, is that, man, I am looking for truth, and I'm not just using step two to stay out there and, and, and flounder in, in a world where I really don't have any type of, of oversight to my life. So if you're in step two and you're in a transition period, then I would say to you, you know, really, I, I would just say don't stay there long. I don't think it's a good place to camp out for long. And then finally, we go over here to step three. We made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Okay, this is where Christians and me personally have a big problem with with 12 steps, 12 step fellowships that just give you liberty to to make God up into like he's Mr. Potato Head. You know, I just, you know, I love the grace and mercy. You know, I love this thing over here from Buddha. You know, I love a couple of these things over here from the Hindu religion. I'm just going to put them all together, and I'm going to come up with a God as I understand him. Now, I just want you to, 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 to just, just 
bear with me for a second. You know, the, the, the deal is, is that, you know, the 12 steps are there. And if I said to somebody, you know, go ahead and do the 12 steps as you understand them. And, and, and the second that I say that, you know, when some guy that's got 30 days clean starts to rewrite the steps, okay, you'd be like, hey, knucklehead, you, you know, th- w- what I mean there is, is, is that I don't expect you to have a comprehensive understanding of step 11 when you have 15 days clean, but what you can't go and do is rewrite step one. You can't say, you know, that I have admitted that I'm powerless over alcohol sometimes, Every other Saturday, I'm not, and so therefore, I'm going to drink every other Saturday. You'd be like, no, moron. How about you go over there? Clearly, you don't know what you're talking about. How about, you know, and I'm just going old school AA. You guys all know what I'm talking about. How about you just go over there and shut your mouth and not say a word? That's what anybody in a 12-step fellowship would say to some kid with 30 days or six months or 15 years, for that matter, that came in and tried to rewrite the steps. You would say, not acceptable, absolutely unacceptable. As a matter of fact, we don't even want you to share in this meeting any longer. Well, that, that's how I feel whenever somebody says, we just get to make God up as we understand him. And so therefore, I'm going to go ahead and pick a pair of tennis shoes or a doorknob, or I'm just going to make up some kind of God. Because the, the problem is, is that number one, we all know in our heart of hearts, that's not a real God. And, and, and what we mistake a lot of times is that whenever we do, you know, f- for example, you know, you, you, you decide that, that the chair, you know, that, that the plastic chair at the AA meeting is going to be your God, okay? And you decide to stop smoking crack, you do some behavior modification, and now you have six months clean from smoking crack, you have some money in your bank account, you know, there's just some, 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 some laws, some unwritten laws that are... <laughs> that if you stop smoking crack, you're going to have more money in your bank account, all right? The plastic chair didn't do that for you. But if somebody has embraced that and has been empowered to embrace that, then whenever somebody comes along with the real message, hey, there is a God that loves you, that Jesus died on the cross for you, and, 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 and then the guy's saying, like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I already have a higher power. I'm spiritual, I've picked a chair. It's the power of the people of the group in the room. You know, and you're sitting there saying like, no, man, what, what you don't understand, like all that's good and all those are part of the equation and part of the support system. But in reality, that God cannot save. And we're doing a huge disservice thinking that God, by, by saying the word Jesus is so inflammatory, it's so provocative that if we introduce that to somebody that only has a few hours clean that we're doing them a disservice no what you're doing a disservice is is when you let them make up some kind of god that's not real and then empower them to do that and to not even search out truth and not to develop that and not get into sources where they can actually meet jesus who is going to be able to save and and transform their life So I wanted to jump on here for a few minutes, talk about the first three steps. And I think that all of us could agree that because if we're a believer, you know, I mean, it's it's really step one is, is saying, you know, it's sin. I have no power to defeat sin by myself. You know, the the deal is, is that, you know, I, I can't overcome darkness with a baseball bat. You know, if I go home to my house tonight and I walk in to my kitchen 
and the lights aren't on, I don't pick up a baseball bat and start beating the darkness out of the room, okay? What, what I need then is, is I need light, okay? I need, I need God to be able to overcome that darkness, right? And so step one is just saying, man, sin has overcome me, and I can't beat it on my own. I can't help enough little old ladies across the street to be able to overcome all of the darkness that I've done. Because the deal is, if I failed at one point of the law, then I'm guilty of it all, and I can't undo that by works, okay? And then step two, like I said, I mean, that's just the searching thing. And then, and then step three is just saying, God, I am turning my will and my life over to you. I can't do this anymore. I can't see the future. I don't want to try to do the future apart from you. Jesus, I need you. I need you in every part of my life to turn my will and my life over. I want you to take my marriage, my finances, my children, my job, my leadership, Every single part of me, everything that makes it me, God, I want you to lead there because whenever I have done it in the past, it has always ended up in a disaster. And I think that is from the Christian perspective of, of how the step should work. And that's what, that's what we teach here at Good Landing. See you guys next week. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call. It's 770-570-7422.